Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. If you'd like to sponsor or dedicate an episode of Your Torah, please get in touch via our website, which can be found at ukjofa.org. Hi, I'm Nina Kratz-Rasid, and I'm a Jewish educator living in New York. I'm excited to learn Masachet, or Tractate Eruvin, with you today. I teach and learn Torah because I love the conversation of Torah throughout the generations. To trace a teaching from its basis in the Torah Shebichtav, the written Torah, to its interpretation and explication in Torah Peh, the oral Torah, in rabbinic literature from ancient times until today, is to read the dialogue of generations of Jews with God. It is academic spiritual, and emotional exercise that deepens my life as a Jew. Masechet Eruvin, literally the tractate of joinings, is a fantastic example of how the ancient rabbis took a pasuk, a verse from the Torah, and interpreted it further to understand our responsibilities on Shabbat. Listen to how the Rambam, Moses Maimonides, who lived in Spain from 1135 to 1204, explains the connection between the Torah Shebichtav and the Torah Peh on the prohibition of carrying on Shabbat. Hayotzei chutz litchum hamedina b'Shabbat loke, shine'emar, ayitzei ish mimakomo bayom hashavii. The one who goes outside of the boundary of the city on Shabbat is punished, as it is said, quote, one shall not go out from one's place on the seventh day, end quote. Exodus chapter 16, verse 29. In Parshat B'Shalach, after God delivers the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, God gives them food, manna, every day but Shabbat. On Friday, two days portion of manna fell. Moshe tells the Israelites not to go out on Shabbat to collect manna, but some Israelites go out anyway. God gets angry and commands again, one shall not go out from one's place on the seventh day. This is the Torah Shebichtav source for not carrying on Shabbat. Makom hu techum ha'ir. This place is the boundary of the city. Velo natna Torah shiur nitchum zeh. And the Torah did not give the amount of distance for this boundary. From the words of the rabbis, a person shall not go outside the city other than 2,000 cubits, that is within 2,000 cubits, but outside of 2,000 cubits is forbidden. But why do we care about carrying on Shabbat? What's the issue here? Let's ask the Sefer HaChinuch, written anonymously in 13th century Spain. The roots of this commandment are that we should remember and know that the world is created and not primordial, as it is written explicitly about the commandments of Shabbat in Exodus chapter 20 verse 11. For in six days God made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, and God rested on the seventh day. 
על כן, לזכר דבר ראוי שננוח במקום אחד. כלומר, שלא נלך בדרך רחוק, רק דרך טיול ועונג. Therefore, to remember this thing, it is fitting that we rest in one place, meaning to say that we do not go to a faraway place, but rather only stroll and have delight from our walks. Part of rest on Shabbat, then, is not troubling ourselves with long travel. But what does this have to do with carrying? I think that it is fair to say that the context of our original pasuk establishes the connection to carrying. Just as the Israelites were not to go out on Shabbat to get what they needed to bring food into the home, we shouldn't need to go out to address our needs on Shabbat. Let's talk about what this Masechah covers. The first chapter discusses the qualifications of the structures that must be built in a Mavoy in order for residents who live in that Mavoy to carry within it. Pinchas Kahati, who wrote a commentary on the Mishnah that is widely used, wrote, quote, Houses in cities in the days of the rabbis were built in courtyards, which opened into a mavoy, like an alley, which itself opened up to the streets of the city, a.k.a. the public domain, Rashut Harabim. What do we mean by qualifications? For example, a mavoy must have a lechi or a korah in order for carrying to be permitted within it. And the third Mishnah tells us that the korah, the beam, must be wide enough to hold a brick about 11.4 centimeters long. The rest of this chapter, as well as the second chapter, address the qualifications of boundary markers. The third chapter gets into the real meat of the concept of a roof. Where does it even come from? According to Kahati, the ancient rabbis were concerned with public understanding of the prohibition of carrying on Shabbat. Quote, Every courtyard is legally considered to be a Rishut Hayachid, a private domain, and even though many people may live in it and use it equally, one is allowed, according to the Torah, to carry on Shabbat within the entire courtyard and from the houses to the courtyard and vice versa, end quote. It was also permissible to carry from the courtyard to the Mavoy. Perhaps Jews would think that it was permissible to carry from a house, courtyard, or mavoy, to the Rashut HaRabim, and vice versa, quote, since the Rashut HaRabim is also a domain shared by many people, just like a mavoy. Therefore, the rabbis enacted that residents sharing a courtyard should not carry to and from their houses without having made an roof, in which all of the residents before Shabbat give food to be put in the house of one of the residents. Through this, their domain is considered to be joined, end quote. Now we understand why this tractate is called the tractate of joinings. The Seiruv is called an Eruv Chatzirat, the joining of courtyards. There's another kind of Eruv called Eruv Tchumin. Remember the Rambam? Quote, a person shall not go outside the city other than 2,000 cubits, end quote. Let's say I'm visiting a friend over Shabbat, but she lives outside the 2,000 cubits. If I settle for Shabbat within those 2,000 cubits and set two meals worth of food before Shabbat, I can shift the center of gravity so that I can walk to my friend, who is now located within the new area of 2,000 cubits. That's called an Eruv Tchumin, a joining of boundaries. Determining my place for Shabbat, as the original Pasuk said, is called Kinyan Shavita, acquisition of a dwelling. Now, after all of that, 
we can understand the third chapter of the Mishnah. The first two Mishnayot discuss what may be part of the food for the Eruv and who may deliver the Eruv. In the second Mishnah, we learn that all inhabitants of the Eruv, at least the Eruv Chatzirot, must participate in the Eruv in order for the Eruv to take effect. The rest of the chapter discusses the laws of Eruv Tchumin. The fourth chapter discusses what happens if you haven't made an Eruv Tchumin, if you're outside the 2,000 cubits when Shabbat begins, and alternative ways of Kinyan Shavita. The fifth chapter begins and ends by discussing measurements of Eruve Tchumin. In the middle, the chapter changes topics completely to discuss how Eruvin can be made in towns where everyone rents their homes from one person or where everyone owns their own homes. I wonder what the rabbis would say about modern cities where there are renters and owners. The sixth chapter is all about sharing the Eruv and creating community. It begins by discussing again residents of the courtyard who cannot or will not participate in the Eruv, such as non-Jews or Jews who do not follow rabbinic law. However, those who do not participate can rent out their participation rights to those who can participate, making the Eruv usable. The chapter also discusses, among other cases, those who forget to participate. Because who doesn't forget something that needs to happen before Shabbat? The seventh chapter begins by discussing the cases in which two adjoining courtyards only need one Eruv between them. The chapter then discusses the Shituf Mavoy. Remember our first chapter? Once the residents of a Mavoy have built the required structures, they can join their private domains to enable carrying within the Mavoy. The chapter also discusses the requirements for the food used for the Shituf Mavoy and Eruv Chatserot. The eighth chapter discusses requirements for establishing Eruvei Tchumin and other requirements for Eruvei Chatserot. The end of the chapter discusses drying and pouring out of water in courtyards. The ninth chapter discusses potential breaches, what happens when courtyards or mivaot are breached into the Rashut Rabin, and bridges or bridge-like structures. Kehati introduces the tenth chapter with the following comment, quote, This, the last chapter of the tractate, deals with various laws which complement the tractates of Shabbat and Eruvim, end quote. Here, we can see how Eruvin fits into Seder Mo'ed, the order of appointed times, one of the six orders of Mishnah. Masechat Eruvin follows and complements Masechat Shabbat, the tractate addressing the main holiday on which Eruvin take effect. The end of Masechat Eruvin wraps up both Masechto nicely. This chapter discusses, among other subjects, how to protect holy objects from desecration on Shabbat, the height requirement of various objects to enable carrying, such as a cistern for drawing water, if a door's bolt can be used or its hinges can be replaced on Shabbat, and finally, laws addressing what can and cannot be done in the temple in Jerusalem on Shabbat. Let's learn the first Mishnah from the third chapter together. Bakol me'arvin u'mishtatfim chutz min ha'mayim u'min ha'melach. Eruvin and shitufei mevo'ot can be made with any edible other than water and salt. Vehakol nikach bechesef ma'aser chutz min ha'mayim u'min ha'melach. 
and any edible can be bought with the money of Ma Sershani, other than water and salt. Ma Sershani is the second tithe taken by farmers in certain years of the Shemitah, or sabbatical cycle. The farmers then redeem the tithe with money, the money of Ma Sershani, and the money is brought to Jerusalem to purchase food. According to Kahati, this rule about the money of Maser Sheni teaches that water and salt are not food, because the verse that teaches us about redeeming Maser Sheni for money, You shall give money for all that your soul desires, Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 26, shows, quote, that only produce that is either fruit or that which comes from the ground may be purchased with the money of Maser Sheni, end quote. If only food can be purchased with this money, then water and salt, which can't, must not be food. We only make a ruvine with food. Further proof from our Mishnah. Hanoder min hamazon mutar b'maim uvamelach. One who vows to abstain from eating can still drink water and eat salt. If that person can consume those things, they must not be food. Me'aravin lanazir bayayin ul Yisrael bitruma. Sum chusomer bechulin. An eruv for a nazir can be made with wine and for a regular Israelite with truma. Simachus says with non-sacred food. This is striking because a nazir who makes a vow of holy asceticism to God cannot have wine or grape products, and a regular Israelite cannot eat truma, sacred food that is only permitted to Kohanim, the special subset of the priestly tribe of Levi who performed sacrifices in the temple. Simachus, a rabbi who lived in approximately the late 2nd century CE, disagreed, saying that an eruv can only be made with food that the people using the eruv can eat. The Lakohen Bevet Hapras. An eruv can be made for a Kohen in a Beit Hapras. According to Kahati, a Beit Hapras is the 100 cubit area in a field that once surrounded a grave that has since been plowed over. A Kohen is not allowed to come into contact with impurity from the dead, according to the Torah. The Kohen is only forbidden from entering the Beit HaParas, according to rabbinic law, because the plowing may have dispersed the bones. The rabbis assume that a Kohen can look carefully when walking in the Beit HaParas to avoid contact with bones, and therefore permit the Kohen to enter there and include it in his Eruv Tchumin. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Afilu Beit HaKvarot, Mipnei Shiachol Eleich Lachotz Velechol. Rabbi Judah said, even in a cemetery, because he can go out and eat. Rabbi Judah even permits a cemetery, a place with certain impurity, to be part of the Kohen Zeruv, because he can go away from the graves, or perhaps even make a partition so that he can set the food of the Eruv there. There's a lot to process here, but let's focus for now on how expansive the halacha, the law, is in this Mishnah. We've learned that almost any edible can be used to make the Eruv, even if not everyone participating in the Eruv can eat that food, and that an Eruv Tchumin can be made almost anywhere within the 2,000 cubits outside the city.
This Mishnah provides a compelling model for our communities today. First of all, food is an important part of creating community. This we know from the endless lunch meetings we have at work to the sacred Shabbat and holiday meals we share with family and friends. We just celebrated Thanksgiving here in the United States, and for me, it's not Thanksgiving without turkey, sautéed mushrooms, and my dad's marshmallow sweet potatoes. But second of all, diversity is just as important a part of creating community. For my family, with a father who can't eat gluten, we couldn't imagine having Thanksgiving without pumpkin pie and some sort of grain. Brown rice quickly became part of our routine, and every year, my dad and I looked forward to trying different gluten-free pie crust recipes to make sure we could still have our favorite Thanksgiving dessert. When I got married, my husband's chocolate pecan pie and pastrami stuffing became part of the repertoire. There's diversity without food, of course, and food should not be the only thing that brings us together at any time. In college, I shared Shabbat activities with people from all walks of life and all walks of Jewish life. I certainly played new games and had new discussions. My Shabbat and my life has been enriched by that creation of a diverse community. Lastly, you could create community anywhere. Whether it was the summer I spent in Paris where there was no Eruv, on the Connecticut coast visiting family, or in Holy Israel, the land in which these halachot were interpreted, I found community on Shabbat and on every day of the week, especially with people I had never met before. Mishnah Eruvin is very technical, but it should elevate and challenge us. It should move us to reach out to our next door neighbors and our neighbors across town. It should move us to meet new people and include those who are not always included. When setting your boundaries, you should also try expanding them. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.